I'm Parson Michael Maui, and this is Dharma Talks from Sacred Ground. Reflections and meditations brought to you from the Sacred Ground Community Church and Sangha. Today's Dharma Talk was originally shared on April 4th, 2021. We're staying, as, as Ollie mentioned, we're staying in Struthers, Ohio, just outside of Youngstown. We're actually filming this in Poland, Ohio, uh, the next town over. Um, we're about a half a mile from my mom's church that I went to growing up, uh, less than a mile from the house where I grew up in my niece's backyard in her she shack. So. Thanks to Michelle and her family for letting us use this. Um, <clears throat> I woke up early this morning and it was still dark outside. And I let the dogs out and went out in the backyard and I could see the Big Dipper and the stars. And you can see the stars a little better in the Youngstown area than you can in Columbus. There's a little bit less uh, light pollution here and um, I found myself thinking about uh, the Catholic teacher Edward Hayes um, he uh, he spoke of uh, he speaks of uh, the solar system and the galaxy and that sort of thing and, and he says if you if you were to reduce our solar system, you know, with its eight or nine planets, down to the size of the palm of your hand, and everything was being reduced at the same rate, how big then do you think the Milky Way galaxy might be? Well, uh, Edward Hayes, I think this is in his book, A Pilgrim's Almanac, he said, if we, if we reduce our solar system down to the palm of our hand, then the Milky Way galaxy would then be reduced so that it would only be about the size of the continental United States. And I looked up online and, and I was wondering, well, how many stars, you know, our sun is one star, how many stars are there in the Milky Way galaxy? And I looked online and NASA says, they don't know for sure, but the best estimates are between um, 100 billion and 400 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. And, you know, when we start talking in those big numbers, it, it, it doesn't make too much sense to us. But just to give you a, a, little, a, a little idea, there are fewer than 8 billion humans on the planet. And so we have this estimate of between 100 and 400 billion stars, or suns, if you will, in the Milky Way galaxy. Well, that leads to the next question for me. How many galaxies? And then in the observable universe, we have estimates of from... 200 billion to 2 trillion galaxies <laughs> and remember you know these each you know with you know let's say we're an average size galaxy I don't know if we are but you know each of those with a hundred to four hundred billion stars in them 
and then you know you could compare the size of the sun to the earth and then you could compare you or me <laughs> to the size of the earth we're kind of on the small side and then I, I'm thinking about all this this morning and I look over and sleeping on the couch across from me I think it's you know dawn's kind of coming up then I look across from me and there is our um, our dog Cookie a West Highland Terrier and I don't know if you know these Westies these little white dogs and we walk the dogs almost every day Ollie and I and you should see Cookie walking down the street and I'll do a you know like kind of and he is in charge he is clearly you know he he is in charge of everything actually yesterday when we got to my mom's the neighbor's Doberman came running out and you know Cookie goes right up like don't make me kick your butt you know <laughs> so so um i was thinking that's a little bit how we are as humans i think we kind of we got it all figured out you know we know what's going on and and so you know when you start talking about things like empty tombs <laughs> you know we that's, that's ridiculous you know deathlessness from death we, we think we, we got that all figured out right and 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 even enlightenment right what do you know we scoff at such a such a notion right and and that then led me to think about a story that the Dalai Lama tells about uh, one of his Tibetan monks and as you may or may not know, the Dalai Lama escaped from Tibet around 1959. And of course, many monks, Tibetan monks, were left behind. And one of the ones who was left behind, um, this monk was captured with a group of about 130. I think they were mostly monks. There might have been some lay people as well. Captured by the Chinese and put into a work camp. And the conditions were absolutely horrific. Um, they were regularly tortured. And as I think I said, there were about 130 of them. And at the end of 18 years, only 20 were still alive. And this monk, one of the 20, came back and met the Dalai Lama and talked to him about his experience. He said, there were times when it was so cold and we were so hungry that we would have eaten one of those who had died. But their bodies were so frozen stiff and we had no access to fire or heat that we couldn't eat them. And this monk says to the Dalai Lama, he says, there were times 
when I was in real danger. And of course the Dalai Lama thinks that the monk is about to say that he was in real danger of losing his life. And this monk says to the Dalai Lama, there were times during those 18 years when I was in real danger of losing my compassion for the Chinese soldiers. It's almost unimaginable for most of us to imagine a human being capable of that level of compassion. And maybe a little bit of our strut goes away because maybe, maybe people can be something more than we typically imagine. And that had me thinking about enlightenment from a Tibetan perspective. And I have this wonderful book called The Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. And within this Tibetan tradition, they have this idea that sometimes an enlightened being will attain what is called the rainbow body. Um, I don't know if that particular monk, if he's still alive or not, I, but I don't know if he, he might be a candidate for this rainbow body. And this is going to be our third reading today from the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying uh, about the rainbow body. Through the advanced practices of Dzogchen, accomplished practitioners can bring their lives to an extraordinary and triumphant end. As they die, they enable their body to be reabsorbed back into the light essence of the elements that created it. And consequently, their material body dissolves into light and then disappears completely. This process is known as the rainbow body or body of light because the dissolution is often accompanied by spontaneous manifestations of light and rainbows. The ancient tantras of Dzogchen and the writings of the great masters distinguish different categories of this amazing otherworldly phenomenon. For at one time, if at least not normal, it was reasonably frequent. Usually a person who knows he or she is about to attain the rainbow body will ask to be left alone and undisturbed in a room or a tent for seven days. On the eighth day, only the hair and nails, the impurities of the body, are found. This may be very difficult for us now to believe, but the factual history of the Dzogchen lineage is full of examples of individuals who attained the rainbow body. And as Dujom Rinpoche often used to point out, this is not just ancient history. Of the many examples, I would like to choose one of the most recent, 
and one with which I have a personal connection. In 1952, there was a famous instance of the rainbow body in the east of Tibet, witnessed by many people. The man who attained it, Sonam Namgyal, was the father of my tutor and brother of Lama Tetsun, whose death I described at the beginning of this book. He was a very simple, humble person who made his way as an itinerant stone carver, carving mantras in sacred texts. Some say he had been a hunter in his youth and had received teaching from a great master. No one really knew he was a practitioner. He was truly what is called a hidden yogin. Sometime before his death, he would be seen to go up into the mountains and just sit, silhouetted against the skyline, gazing up into space. He composed his own songs and chants and sung them instead of the traditional ones. No one had any idea what he was doing. He then fell ill, or seemed to, but became strangely, increasingly happy. When the illness got worse, his family called in masters and doctors. His son told him he should remember all the teachings he had heard, and he smiled and said, I've forgotten them all. And anyway, there's nothing to remember. Everything is illusion, but I am confident that all is well. Just before his death at age 79, he said, All I ask is that when I die, don't move my body for a week. When he died, his family wrapped his body and invited lamas and monks to come and practice for him. They placed the body in a small room in the house. And they could not help noticing that although he had been a tall person, they had no trouble getting it in, as if he were becoming smaller. At the same time, an extraordinary display of rainbow-colored light was seen all around the house. When they looked into the room on the sixth day, they saw that the body was getting smaller and smaller. On the eighth day after his death, the morning on which the funeral had been arranged, the undertakers arrived to collect his body. When they undid its coverings, they found nothing inside but his nails and hair. My master, Jamyang Kinse, asked for these to be brought to him and verified that this was a case of the rainbow body. Now, we may listen to that story and question it. Um, throughout this book, the author Sogyo Rinpoche says, you know, we're, uh, we're in a highly questioning age right now. But I invent, invite you to just, you know, suspend your disbelief for a moment and entertain the possibility of the rainbow body. And if that is a possibility, 
Might that Tibetan monk, who was in prison for 18 years and never lost his compassion for the Chinese soldiers, might he be a candidate for the rainbow body? And if there was a spiritual teacher in another land, in a culture that had no connection as the Tibetans do to this idea of a rainbow body, and if this particular teacher had reached such a level of, let us say, enlightenment, that he would give teachings such as this you have heard that it hath been said thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy but I say unto you love your enemies Bless them that curse you. Do good for them that hate you. Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. If that same teacher, when he was being tortured, and in fact dying, could have said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they are doing. Again, we might think, can anybody do that? Who can do that? Well, if we believe the Dalai Lama, that Tibetan monk who was held for 18 years seems to have been able to do it. So maybe... Maybe this Middle Eastern teacher was at that level of compassion or that level of the view where he could see how he was not separate from others. And what would happen if maybe not in seven days, but maybe in two or three days, he attained the rainbow body? There may be more than many of us can believe or really consider 
But I remind you again of those billions and billions of stars. And how very small we are. Tick.Han Han says one of his favorite mantras is a simple question. Are you sure? There's something about opening up to being not sure. Opening up to not knowing what's possible. Ali shared with us about the resurrection of the earth that happens within us. I share a couple of these mystical thoughts on it. And there's one more thing I want to share. Today is April 4th. It's the anniversary of the death of my father. He died 24 years ago. And Ollie and I had the blessing of being there at his side as he breathed his last breath. My brother, my sister, and my mom were also there. You don't always get that, of course. It was a blessing. And my dad went into a coma the night before on April 3rd. And the morning of April 4th, I was sitting out on the concrete step in the, by the back door. Actually, Ollie and I were sitting there together. And um, kind of a beautiful day like today in Ohio. And the birds were singing. And I've shared this before in a other Dahmer talk, but the the singing of the birds was unlike anything I had ever heard in my life. It was like a symphony. It was like it was all choreographed. And I was just in absolute awe. And I thought maybe this is just happening within me. And I turned and I looked at Ollie and she was experiencing the exact same thing. My dad was very fond of animals, and I don't know if um, I don't know if this could have been a special send-off for my dad, or I don't know if this is something that happens all the time, but that particular morning, I was just so heart-opened that I actually had the ears to hear it. But it was something beyond what this Westie here struts about and usually experiences. And just a few weeks before this, there was a there was a gathering at our house or my, my, the house I grew up in, and you know, cousins were there, my brother, my sister, and their kids. And as people were getting on their coats and leaving, my mom, my dad, I remember he was sitting at the, at the dining room table. My mom went over and she put her hand on my dad, and she said, "Bill, look what we did." And at that point, my mom and dad had nine grandchildren, one great-grandchild, and another great-grandchild on the way. It's been 24 years since my dad died. There are now... Not nine grandchildren, but 12 grandchildren. 
not one great-grandchild, but 17. I sometimes misspeak and think that my dad died 24 years ago. There's a deathlessness just like the deathlessness of that empty tomb. There's continuations. And it's not just for those of us who have children or descendants. There's so many other people that my dad, he touched with his life, and there's so many people that we all touch with a, with a word, with a thought, as a teacher, as a coach. This last week, <laughs> I played football in high school over 40 years ago. And this last week, it popped into my head, gosh, I wonder if the old films are available. They had black and white 16 millimeter films of our games. And so I got it into my head and I got on the internet and I started searching around for our head coach. His name's Jack Geddes. And I found a Jack Geddes, age 91, living in Youngstown, Ohio. And I was able through the internet to find this phone number. I called. His wife answered. And I was trying to explain who I was. I said, oh, yeah, I, I went to Struthers High School. Uh, is this the Jack Eddies who was a football coach at Struthers? And she was confused at first. She said, oh, are you from the hospital? I said, no, I'm, I'm not from the hospital. And then she started to explain to me that her husband had recently had surgery. But this 91-year-old man was now home, and this was the Jack Eddies who had been the football coach. And she was able to put him on the phone. And I asked him if he had knew anything about those old films or anything, and he didn't. And I don't think he even remembered me. I'm like, oh, I was your right offensive guard, but that's okay. And then I said to him, you know, I gave him thanks for being, being our coach. And, you know, we, we weren't a great team. We lost more games than we won, but we had some great moments. There was a game with the Howland Tigers where we were down by two touchdowns. And with three minutes left in the game, we scored a touchdown. We did an onside kick, we got the ball back, we went back in, we scored another touchdown, and we, we won the game where we scored a couple of touchdowns in the last couple of minutes. And so I said to Coach Geddes this last week, I said, Mr. Geddes, I said, you know, there were just some great, I know we didn't always win, but we had some great games. I said, I remember that Howland game, you know, and, and he says, <laughs> he says, I was just telling my wife about that game last week. <laughs> This is a game from 1978, and we were both thinking about it. I'm not separate from Coach Geddes. We're not separate from all those teachers, from all those people who have touched our lives. I love the reading that Ollie shared, where Thich Nhat Hanh says, Jesus and the Buddha are always in me, and they are very peaceful and united with each other. There is no conflict at all between the Buddha and the Christ in me. They are real brothers, they are real sisters within me. Whatever you think of Jesus, Whatever your thoughts about empty tombs or deathlessness, about rainbow bodies or continuations, 
We're not separate. This whole Buddha thing didn't end 2,500 years ago. This whole Jesus thing didn't end 2,000 years ago. My dad didn't die 24 years ago. And after all the stars were gone, I went back outside. And the sun was coming up. And this old Westie who struts around was a reminder of how little he knows. Reminded of how he lives on a planet. Jesus Christ is risen today, Alleluia. Our triumphant holy day, Alleluia. Who did once upon the cross, Alleluia, suffer to redeem our loss. Alleluia. Happy Easter. I'm Parson Michael Malley, and you've been listening to Dharma Talks from Sacred Ground.